Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Shit Talk. Here we are, May the 31st of 2023. Can't believe we made it this far. Blame, good to have you back. Good to see you made it through the apocalypse. I did, yes. The, the If the apocalypse means a move, then uh, through a move, I did make it. Oh, yes, yeah. I was, uh, I was quoting scripture. Uh, what's, the, what's the line? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And uh, I did that with my U-Haul boxes in hand. And uh, the good Lord baby Jesus looked over me, and I got it all done. So, Well, that's great. Well, speaking of baby Jesus, we kind of have a lookalike here as a guest on our podcast. <laughs> Not that it's all about you and your Jesus, Blaine. But, uh, no, we, uh, we're blessed to have Alex McKenzie joining us. He's a uh, local comedian here in uh, not only just Canada, but more locally in, in British Columbia. So welcome to the podcast there, Alex. Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I'm excited, man. It should be, it should be a fun time hanging out with you guys for a while here. So how long have you been doing stand-up now? So uh, professionally, I've been doing it for four years. What I started first time I got on stage was eight years ago. But uh, at the beginning, you just kind of like it was kind of a hobby. And, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Prince George. So up there, you could only get on stage like maybe once a month type of thing. So like once a month, there was a local place, uh, Nancy O's, it was called. And they would fly in a professional headliner from Vancouver. And then we would get to uh, open for them. Locals, we'd get to do like a five minute spot. And then... Uh, yeah, I did that for a while. And then I started meeting more and more people that were like making a living doing it. And then you're like, oh man, like, is this a real job? Like you guys can actually do this? And uh, yeah, just took took a lot of time to finally decide to pull the plug and go after it. So do you do any um, like social experiments on the side? Are you, are you seem to be a pretty outgoing guy. I see you making your, uh, are they Instagram videos or your, your Facebook videos so there? Yeah, the TikToks. Yeah, so that's kind of how that, that's not how it started, but that was the thing that really, I don't know, helped my career, helped me to be able to actually uh, tour and sell venues on my own. Um, and that started through the pandemic. So I quit my job. So I used to be a power engineer and an instrument mechanic at a pulp mill in Prince George. Uh, then my my little stories, I quit my job, I sold my house and everything I own. And then I bought this RV for me and my dog Finley to start touring the country doing comedy. And that was in May of 2019. And then uh, in March of 2020, comedy became illegal, which was uh, interesting because you're always like, dude, the best part about comedy is like, no one could take this from me. And then uh, it became illegal. And then I had to uh, basically just post jokes online. So that's how that whole thing started is when when I was, uh, yeah, early 2020, I couldn't go perform. You couldn't do shows. I didn't have to worry about any of the business side of it so i just started reading like joke writing books and learned a lot about joke structure and formula and then i just started writing jokes every day i'd try to write five jokes and then i'd pick the best one i just started posting them online and then you know just started growing momentum on tiktok and then instagram brought reels out and facebook brought reels out and then they just kind of transferred over to that and then it just started growing from there so Maybe like like myself, I was a middle child, twice yeah. removed, a split family. So I spent a lot of time in the basement when I was really young, and then I was let like out on the spigot more. Um, right. But what what got you into the dark arts? Like, was it, did you have? 
so it actually how I got into comedy was uh was a podcast. So my buddy, we started a podcast. He used to have a podcast called Address This Mess, which is a tough one for a lispy guy to say. But uh, we used to just talk about mostly current events because it's the easiest thing because, you know, new stuff's always happening. So we would just kind of talk about the state of the world. Um, and then we ended up uh, interviewing a comedian out of New York when we were on the podcast, uh, just like this via probably, I don't think it was Zoom at the time. I don't know what we used, but we interviewed him and... Uh, I mentioned to him I love stand-up comedy and I'd always love to try it, but I'm like, I'm from a small town in Northern Canada and, you know, there's nowhere here to really do it. Um, and then someone heard that and they wrote into the show and said, hey, there's actually like a group of like five or six of us to do this open mic down at a little pub. Um, and they're like, you know, our next one is in August if you want to come try it out. And, uh, you know, I always, always wanted to do it. So I was like, well, I can't chicken out now, you know, I'm going to gonna go try this thing and then i uh i went and i wrote five minutes of what i thought was uh good stuff and i went down and uh did it and it it went very well for like your first time doing it um i was very happy with it i mean most of my friends showed up so it's like you had like 30 people there cheering you on that all kind of knew you so it was pretty good uh, um yeah and then after that i got to open for my first pro which was michelle shaughnessy out of toronto um and did that in that nancy o's there and then it just kind of kind of i went on and off for a while after that actually because i didn't uh, i didn't comedy is hard because here's the thing about comedy at the beginning like you just suck like you suck for so long because it's so hard and the only time you get to actually practice it is in front of a live audience so it's really like you only know if it works when you're in front of people. So the hard part is like you get to do five minutes at a time, like once a month at the beginning when I was up in uh, Prince George. And I always tell people it'd be like trying to learn a new skill. But the only time you're allowed is in front of an audience. So like if you want to learn to juggle, you're like, you're not allowed doing it at home. You just got to you got to wait till you get on that stage. And the whole time you're just like messing up. So then you're like, oh, no, I feel like an idiot. And you're like, feel like you're wasting everyone's time. You're like, I'm so sorry. I'm not good at this. Like, yeah. Well, that's a that's a good comparison, though, actually. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's kind of tricky, like, because you think, I mean, you can get an idea for it. Like now I do find like my percentage of jokes, like it's a lot higher now. Like I can. You kind of get a pretty good idea. You're like, ah, this is going to work. I have, this will do the thing, you know? But yeah, at the beginning, it's a very hard. And then, yeah, the first few years, you're just learning to how try, like, try and be comfortable up there, you know? Like I used to just get so nervous. I remember on my way to my first road gig, uh, I was on my way to Grand Prairie, Alberta with Simon King. And I was opening for him and I was doing 20 minutes. And I wasn't sure if I even had 20 minutes at the time, but I was like, yeah, I can do it. I can do 20. Let's go. And uh, it was like a snowstorm. And I was like, dude, I wouldn't mind if we just kind of slid into the ditch right now. We weren't able to do the show. And you're like, I'd rather get in a car crash than do this show right now because you're so nervous. Wow. Yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't imagine, really. But uh, so did yeah, they, I... I failed at stand up because, you know, you can't make fun of deaf people and you yeah. can't make fun of midgets, even though midgets are the true minority. And we're not even allowed to call them that. Like, we're not allowed to call them midgets or munchkins 
or elves or any of that anymore. It's no, he canceled. Have you seen that John Mulaney bit? No, who's who's John Mulaney? John Mulaney. So he's a okay. Well, I don't know if you pulling my leg or not, but Johnny, he's a, a very funny comedian. He's got that bit about like how he wanted to say, What do you do? He wanted to say the word midget on Saturday Night Live. And they're like, uh, John, you, you can't say midget. And he's like, Well, I sure would like to. <laughs> and they're like, Well, you can't. You know, they're like, uh, Saying midget is like saying the N word. He goes, First of all, uh, no. He goes, uh, you know how I know? We're saying the word midget. We're not even saying what the other word is. <laughs> he goes, if there's two words and you're trying to figure out which one's worse and you won't say one of them, that's the worst word. <laughs> I don't know. I Yeah, I have a cousin who was actually born a, um, a dwarf and then he was um, upgraded to a little person and then now he's a, a chrondoplasiac. Mm -hmm. So there's apparently two kinds of dwarfism, a chrondoplasiac and pseudoplasiac. Those are the two main kinds of dwarfism. So mm -hmm. you got to be careful with those as well. It's like the, um, if I can say it as, as well as our prime minister, um, the LGBT plus community, you know, you don't want to misgender the wrong one or miss, miss, you know, diagnose them at all. So. Again, if we can just go back to calling everybody midgets, and that's because some are just mental midgets, right? There are those people in the world. You're traveling around. How how far across the country have you gotten in your RV? Uh, in the RV, I've only made it as far as Saskatoon, but I have uh, I've traveled all the way. Like I've been to Halifax. I've performed over in Halifax and PEI and Fredericton, New Brunswick, and stuff. Moncton. Nice. You know what yeah, would be. An interesting idea is like for a t-shirt or something you know like the evolution of man how it has like the hunchback over like caveman looking guy and he yeah. gets a little bit taller and then a little bit taller and it's like the silhouettes going up yeah It'd be funny if you had just a bunch of midgets the same size all the way through but underneath them it was just like a different definition so it would go like midget little person right chronoplasiac or whatever just to show that it's like it's the word that's evolving but the the stature is still the same yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you say. Very, yeah, that's a good one. So I'm, I want to talk about social experiments because I know that funny people, people that are that are typically outgoing and enjoy the the high, I guess, of being up on a stage and 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 making other people laugh or at least make them think. Um, there's these guys doing this. Have you seen the homeless skit where they go to Disney World and pretend that Buddy's homeless? no oh you guys got to check this out it's um uh ross creations so yeah. they they go into disney world there and the one buddy's like pretending he's homeless the whole way so he gets a picture with donald duck in the shirt or in the with the signs holding the sign there saying homeless you know anything helps or whatnot so yeah so people are going oh they got to do something about that you know people walking by that's what they're saying right oh they got to do something about that about the homeless guy? They, yeah, they just right away assume that there's now homeless people living in Disney World, right? So. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. But yeah, what's your what's your favorite spot been to visit so far in, in uh, touring? Uh, as far as performing or just hanging out? Both. Oh, uh, 
I don't know. I like anywhere near the mountains. So like hanging out like Jasper, Banff, uh, and then uh, Marble Canyon. I just was, I stayed at Marble Canyon the last three days. That was beautiful. It's got like some nice lakes and a mountain and uh, and waterfall. And now I've got, so I've got Starlink now, which has totally changed the game being in the RV. Because before I used to always have to stay near a city so that I could like do my emails and do all my work and stuff. And uh, so I had to have cell, cell reception. Look at that. Cell reception. <laughs> I had to have cell reception. Uh, but now with the satellite, with Starlink, dude, I can just drive into the middle of the woods where there's no service. And then I can still, you know, keep up with my business, do all of my uh, all my promoting and marketing and do all of my uh, posts and social media and that. So those are probably my favorite places to go. Um, and then as far as performing, I don't know, like it it just varies kind of night to night, crowd to crowd, um, depending. So I've had like really good shows. I always find like, up north, that's where I'm from. So like Prince George, Williams Lake, 100 Mile. I've just had unreal shows there this year. Uh, Penticton was a really good show this year. Um, yeah, trying to think. Salmon Arm was really good. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, but I don't know. Usually like the big, big stages are pretty cool. Like we did the Hard Rock Casino Show Theater in Vancouver last year. That was uh, that was pretty cool just because you, you had to take an elevator from the green room up to the actual stage. So that felt cool to do that. And then when you're walking through the, from the green room down the hall, you can see like everyone signed that wall, man. Like there's ACDC on there. There's U2, like, uh, yeah, Led Zeppelin. Like they're all signed on there. And like, it's pretty cool just getting to perform where these guys have, have done it before, you know? Um, so yeah, the venue, that's it. Kelowna, actually, we did uh, last year, did the Kelowna Community Theater. And I'll tell you that they had the best sound guys that I've dealt with before. They were phenomenal, dude. Like sound guys, I've had so many of them mess up. Like I don't, that's like why my one pet peeve, I don't understand, especially for comedy. It's like, all you have to do is shut the lights off, turn the music on. And then when the guy gets to the stage, shut the music off, turn the lights back on. And uh, the amount of times they mess that up, they just don't play music and you run out to nothing or they just leave all the lights on or then you get halfway out and then they start it and you're like, what is like, how does this happen? Um, it, it kind of boggles me. So that's like, uh, that's my, my Achilles heel in comedy is the sound guys seem to be getting me, but yeah, Kelowna, you got great ones. Yeah. Well, let's hope they have the same guy you're playing at the community, um, or sorry, at Dakota's, uh, sports lounge, Dakota's, um, comedy yeah. club. Yeah. Yeah. So I do. And that's on the 16th of, of June coming up. Yeah, that's right. So I do Dakotas every year. Uh, good friends with like David Cop. So he's uh, he's the promoter there, um, the owner of the club. And he he's been amazing to me over the years, man. Like he was the first guy to get, let me headline a club. Um, so that was really, really cool to get to do that. And he's always like anytime I'm around, he's always giving me stage time, always put me up, like, you know, help me out as much as he can. Um, so Kelowna was originally kind of my second home. Like when I first started touring, uh, Kelowna was always my first stop. Cause I knew I could get stage time there and get up and, uh, you guys have a good scene there, dude. Like you can perform almost every night of the week. You can do like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sunday. Uh, and then sometimes they have it on Tuesdays, I think Dunenzies maybe. Um, but yeah, so I would do, would do that, uh, but then this year we're also back at the Kelowna Community Theater. I think October twenty first. We're back there again. 
Yeah. Well, props again, David Kopp. That's K-O-P-P. Not the kind that, you know, stops you and says, hey, I need your mother's maiden name, date of birth, yeah. all this weird shit. Um, so, um, yeah, David, uh, we plugged on the podcast before with the misfortune cookies during the pandemic. Right. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was a great way to pivot because some of those, some of the shit in those misfortune cookies was just, yeah, tear jerking. Yeah. Great, great oh, material. Dave, he's a great joke writer, man. Like Dave, Dave's a very, he's a dude does very good structured jokes. He writes tight, like they're very, very good. And so you're, you're performing, sorry, again, where here this week? Uh, so this week I'm in Kamloops at the FE Arts Collective. That's tomorrow night. So that's Thursday, June 1st. And then Friday, June 2nd, I'm at Oliver at the Venables Theater. <laughs> so that should be a fun one. Should be good. It's like a little 400-seater, which will be nice. And so what do you what do you get to do on the downtime then between, between shows with the RV? Oh, you can do almost anything, right? Yeah, you can. But uh, I'm a big... Uh, I'm a big believer in hard work, man. Like I really believe that like I, I work probably 10 hours a day, uh, if not more. And so it, I think that's, what's allowed me even to get to the level where I'm at, like for the amount of time I've been doing comedy, I'm doing a lot bigger venues than I probably should be doing, or I don't know if you say should or whatever, however it works, but you know, uh, I've just, I'm very fortunate, but it's, so I started, uh, I have my own production company and then I self-produce all my shows other than things like this, where I'm going like the next two, after these, this weekend, the next two weekends, I'm doing clubs. I'm doing like Kelowna and then Lethbridge. But other than that, it's pretty much, uh, all self-produced. So I just rent a venue and then I just post, I put up all the marketing, design the graphics, and then just sell my own tickets. And then uh, I sell my own booze and merch at the sh a lot of the shows and uh, do that. So basically, like my daily routine is I wake up in the morning and the first thing that I do is I journal for 15 minutes. So I start by writing 15 minutes every day. And the first thing I write down is my regrets from the day before. So if there's anything I regret from the day before, that's how I always start. And I think regret is so powerful because regret, like if you tell me what you regret, I can tell you what you value. Because the things you regret are what mean the most to you. So I always start by that. Usually it's like, at this point, it's generally little things because I've, uh, you know, been doing this for over three years now. Um, usually it's like, oh, I wish I didn't eat so late at night or something. You know, I wish I'd eat a bag of chips or something like that. And it, uh, or I wish I would have, you know, sent those work emails that I, I was supposed to send or I wanted to send and I didn't, or I wish I would have spent more time writing jokes or whatever usually little things like that are kind of my regrets at this point. Um, sometimes it'll be after a show night. If I didn't try a new joke that night, like I'm always, you're always trying new jokes, but then it's like, sometimes uh, you'll chicken out and be like, I don't think that joke's ready for stage yet. I'm not going to do it. And then I regret that. Cause I'm like, just do it. You coward. Like, what are you afraid of? You know? Uh, so I do that after I write my regrets. The next thing I do is I write down the three things I'm grateful for. So then I always do that to, clear the uh because regret if you like dwell on it too much it can kind of just bring you down right now you're just like oh no and start dwelling on it so now i was trying to go with gratitude to realize like just how lucky and blessed i am to be doing this man like i'm pretty spoiled uh that i get to live my dream dude like i i am already i'm already past what i ever thought i would get to like when i quit my job to do this like i was just like if i just make enough money to feed me and my dog 
uh that's it like i'm good and now you're like you're well past that and it's only going up from here so it's uh it's pretty cool so i do the gratitude thing and then after that i just journal uh until my timer goes off so then i'll write like some days i just write down uh things i need to get done so i'm like okay after this then i need to update the facebook marketing for the upcoming events and then i need to review the google ads i need to update my trello with the new graphic designs we need to email the graphics kit to this venue you know phone this place get posters printed and then we need to you know forward on the post on our social media and then share to facebook groups um all that kind of stuff and then other times i'll just write like today i i pieced together a new chunk so i've got i did my first stand-up special uh last month so in april so now i've done my it's my first time in my career that i've put together an hour and i'm done with it so now i've got to rebuild a new hour so it's kind of uh this is new territory for me i i haven't been here but i mean i'm, I'm very confident in it uh you know i built the first one and i've built i've definitely done hours of material to even just get that one hour so coming up with new materials not not that big of a deal but um yeah, it's just new territory. So today what I did is I took like four or five new jokes and kind of pieced them together. So they flowed and made a chunk. And then I'm going to try that tomorrow night on stage and see how that works. And uh, yeah, then, uh, then I kind of do that till I'm done the journaling. And then after journaling, then I usually try to write five dumb jokes. So then I set another timer for 15 minutes. And then I keep like a premise list. So every day, whenever I think of anything funny on my phone under notes, you just write it down. So, uh, you know, I'm like, just dumb ideas like this. Like me and my ex loved meditating. We would spend hours together and never talk. So it was uh, just dumb stuff like that. Then you'll like go into that. Then you'll try to figure out like what's weird, what's hard, what's stupid, what's scary about that, you know? Or be like, uh, like it's, here's something. It's frustrating when things that should be easy end up being really difficult. Now that's just a premise, but it, that is something, right? Like there, there's nothing that frustrates me more when it's like this should have taken two minutes, and we've been an hour on it. Like what is going on? And now you well, just got to go ahead. You're, you're. We're not supposed to have mustard in the fridge. It's something that can live on the counter. Yet they put a fucking seal on there that takes you ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you, and your teeth, you got to go see the dentist. After you know four bottles of condiments, I think that's the average, isn't it? Is that what it is? Four yeah, bottles. every four bottles of condiments, people have to go and see the dentist. Yeah, yeah, six. Yeah, five out of five out of six dentists recommend using different teeth every time if you can. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, right? Don't use yours. Change them out. Yeah, um, the other the other dentist is I obviously the one addicted to the gas, and he wasn't yeah. available for a comment or or a vote. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah so then uh so yeah then to do that then you write the five jokes and then i usually pick which one i think is the best uh and then i use that for my tiktok for the day so then i usually have that i go to the gym uh I, I love the gym dude that's my my jam i go to the gym every day i listen to a guy his name's eric thomas he's like a motivational speaker and he just screams at me for an hour he's just like you're in your life right now you all over the place he's like work harder how bad do you want it? And that just gets me jacked up. And then I just do that. And then uh, when I leave the gym, I always post my TikTok. And then I uh, take it take it off of TikTok. And then you like share it to Instagram and then Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Uh, then, uh, then after that is usually the business stuff. So then that's when I send out emails for like, 
you know, whether I'm sending out press releases or dealing with venue contracts or like right now we're getting ready to launch the Hungry for Laughs tour, which is the biggest, uh, it's the biggest comedy tour I've ever put together. This is in its third year now. It started in 2019, but then COVID took it out for a couple. So this is the third year now. And this year we're doing our first arena. So that's very exciting. So that's uh, 2,800 seats. So got to try and sell that out. Uh, so it's going to be a ton of work. So we're getting ready to launch that. Should have that on sale next week. We are coming to Kelowna with that. That's where we come to the Kelowna Community Theater. And uh, we just confirmed with the food bank yesterday that they're going to be the uh, charity recipient. So the Hunger for Laughs tour, it's like, uh, it's like a variety act. So we have three comedians. Uh, last year, we had a foot archer this year. or last We have a foot archer this year as well. So she shoots a flaming bow and arrow with her feet. And uh, last year, though, we had a freestyle rapper, but this year we're bringing in a magician. So we'll have three comedians, a magician, and then a foot archer. And uh, all the proceeds, uh, profits from it go to the uh, Central Okanagan Food Bank for the Kelowna show. Yeah. In Prince George, we do hospice. And then uh, I think in Duncan, we're doing like the woman's shelter. Uh, Vernon, we're doing the mental health association. So I always just try and find try and find a charity that resonates with me that I think uh would like to work with and and do that. But yeah, so it's uh the days are pretty full, man. Usually like then by five o'clock, uh, you know, you cook some dinner and then I'm either out doing a show or you're clipping your shows out. Or what I try and like to, I like to try and do is play some video games. That's like my one downtime is if I can get online, play some PlayStation with my buddies. Cause that that's the best way to stay connected. Like the hardest part about this whole gig is that you're always on the road. Like I'm never in a city for more than four days, like four days. That's about it. So like you're, it's very hard to date Um, at my age, especially like when you're, cause you know, when you're in your, when you're in your twenties, you know, you're flip flopping in your board shorts, doing the van life thing. Like it's pretty fine. Everyone's cool with it. But when you're in your mid thirties and you're doing this, girls are not that interested in a guy who's living in a van driving around, who's going to be gone in two days. So pretty tough, uh, tough pickings out there. And then, uh, yeah. So the video games, that's what it was, is, uh, they're a great way to like stay in touch with your buddies, you know, like all my friends play video games pretty much every night. So I can throw on my headset and then like get to talk to them, which is cool. What game do you typically play? Is there Fortnite or? Yeah, so dude, my mom plays Fortnite like a ton of it. It's crazy, dude. She's retired and she plays more Fortnite than anyone I know. <laughs> uh, that's why I always say it. Like my parents always play video games and it's like my mom, my dad plays and my mom sits beside him with the strategy guide. And I always say it like combines their two favorite things. Like my dad gets to play video games and then my mom gets to tell my dad what to do. So yeah. they like love it. Um <laughs> But no, typically my favorite game is NHL. Like I love NHL. I was a hockey player growing up. Uh, hockey is my favorite. Uh, so NHL, uh, play a lot of Apex and uh, lately been playing Battlefield and then Overwatch 2. I just got into Overwatch like a month and a half ago or something, but it's been it's been fun. I didn't play video games for quite a while because every, every winter I'm in Australia. So like January till April, I tour Australia. And uh, I don't bring my PlayStation for that. So it was, uh, it's been on a bit of a hiatus. So just kind of getting back into the swing of game in here. And why is it that you tour Australia during that time? Oh, because it's cold here. It's, uh, you don't want to be living in a van in Canada in the winter. Um, 
but also their festival circuit. It just works out perfect, dude. So they have, they've got this unreal festival circuit that they do that they've got three festivals. They've got Perth, Adelaide, and then Melbourne, um, the comedy festival. And you just start in Perth and that's a month long. And then you go to Adelaide, which is a month. And then you go to Melbourne for a month. And uh, so it's January, February, March, like pretty much gets you to like mid April, um, mid January to mid April. Uh, and it's just, it's super, it's super good for your development because you do like your own solo show. So you're getting to do an hour a night, every single night when you're there. So then you can really like work on your material, refine it. That's what I did. I worked on my hour while I was there. Then I came home and I shot my special. Um, so yeah, it's really good. And then also you don't have to worry about the booking stuff, you know, like you're pretty much booked. Like it's just, you're in the festival and it's set and you're done. And then, so it's just perform, perform, perform as where uh, over here, you know, like if I'm not sending out emails, contacting venues, getting bookings, uh, I'm not working. And then as soon as you get a venue booked, that's when it's like, now that the start begins, you know, like the actual work begins, you got to do the insurance and you're selling liquor. You got to get a liquor license and you got to, get the graphics kits made up and then you got to look at the ticket sales going and write the event description and then send posters to print and do the press release and then start Facebook marketing ads, Instagram, YouTube, Google, uh, just doing all of that. You got to hire other comics if you want people to open for you. Then you got to book flights and hotels for opening acts and uh, just a lot of, a lot of back and forth. And then you're doing, you know, three shows a week, two to three shows a week. So then it's like, you're doing this nonstop. It's, uh, and then on top of all of that, you're trying to write new jokes and uh, then post on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And, but that's why I think the thing is like, it, I believe it's just hard work, man. Like if you just, if you keep up that pace and you keep doing that every single day, you wake up and you work on that thing, you know, in a year, in two years, in 10 years, like you're just separating yourself so far that like, you know, well, do you, um, I probably should save this for the next uh, segment, but I admire George Carlin for this. Um, it was, it was one of those comedians that you could watch and know that he had put hours and hours and hundreds of hours into dedication to, right. you know, polishing his material and, and writing it in a way where it was easily followable and, and direct and blunt to the point without having to be necessarily offensive. And that's got to be tough in itself these days. Yeah, I don't find, I honestly don't have a problem with the, like the climate or the current culture, but my whole shtick is I'm like a happiness cheerleader, you know? So it's like my material is pretty, like I don't really talk politics. I don't really talk, uh, you know, any of the, the gender war stuff going on or anything. I kind of just, keep my stick to what I know. And I know what it's like to live in a van with a dog, you know, and uh, just my family and dating and that kind of stuff. I mean, when I was new, I see the timer there, so I'll watch it. But uh, when I, when I was new, uh, you don't know how to be funny. Like you don't know joke structure. It's very hard. So a lot of the time you go with shock, like shock is the easiest thing. Cause then at least you're getting a reaction out of them. Right. So it's like, if you just, if you say something like something really dirty or, or swear or offside, at least you're getting a reaction out of the audience. And that's kind of where everyone starts. And then uh, usually then you progress and evolve as you get better at, at it. And then you realize you're like, oh, I don't, I don't need to swear to make this punchline work. Like this will work if I even just say friggin', you know, like, or 
you don't even need to add that. And then uh, your premises just get better as you go. And I still do quite a bit of uh, dick jokes and stuff, though. Get those in there every once in a while. Like, just slide them in, make them funny. So is there any anyone that you admire, any mentors from as a kid or uh growing up uh just watch like all the standard people you know like i watched a lot of russell peters i watched robin williams um who else there like dane cook dane cook was the first comedian i really loved like he was the guy that got me kind of hooked on stand-up comedy uh so like kind of those guys but then it's changed over the years like right now like i love nate bergazzi he's one of my favorite comics working right now i think he's the best comic working right now Although John Mulaney's new special, the one he just released like last month, I think that's the best stand-up special I've seen in the last three years, probably. Um, I really, Bull Burnham was a huge inspiration to me. Uh, I really like Daniel Sloss. Um, yeah, Bill Burr is obviously, you know, I consider the GOAT. I think he's amazing. I did watch a lot of Dave Chappelle growing up as well. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, there's a ton. Mitch Hedberg was just so good for like a joke writing. When I wanted to study, I studied Gaffigan and Seinfeld. They're two guys that they're very structured. So it's very easy to kind of see and follow. So you're like, okay, I can see how they set this up and the rhythm and, you know, yeah. Um, I see we got less than a minute. You want to, you want to shut her down and fire it back up or what? Yeah, for sure. Um, And so you, you also do some, you said uh, body doubling for, um jason momoa jason Momoa, yeah, yeah yeah and you do the uh uh who was the other one there uh, i do john wick i also do uh john snow i do uh do quite a few different guys if you're looking for any any of them russell well, brand that was it russell off brand that guy yeah i do, do that guy yeah there's uh there's just it's so well it's it's so good having you back here. So, right? so sorry, where were we? I was at three and a half years old. Yeah. So sorry, before the break there, we were, yeah, discussing. So you, you'd learn not to chew on certain things, stuff that you were allowed to chew on. Yeah, I was teething pretty heavily. <laughs> I still got my Rubik's Cube. Okay. And were you like me? Because I come from a big family, right? So, you know, like I breastfed up till seven, I think. <laughs> yeah my father breastfed me actually okay well, that's, okay uh, Lindsay, you have a similar experience Lindsay, welcome back to shit talk thanks for coming back on the podcast tonight i don't have a mom or a dad they're both gender neutral and gender fluid oh no now so, alex did your parents put you in any uh no tuck pants growing up no, or, I don't. I don't know what those were. What's the no tuck? Perhaps, pant? perhaps it's a tuck pant. I don't know. This is what uh, Target has come under some fire for recently. They were selling some uh, pants that, like, that they they they're, they're tuck pants or something. So they 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 tuck your genitals away so you don't look like a a member of that sex. So if you're a biological male but you're identifying as a female but you haven't gotten the cleaver yet. Right. They want you to, they got an option now where they got some, I don't know how it works. If it's like a tube that you stick, you smush everything into, or if it's right. kind of like a duct tape procedure to like flap it's back. It's taped back. I watched your, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. It's, it's taped back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, 
Because <laughs> one out of four people have watched RuPaul's Drag Race tonight. <laughs> um, I, I listen. I I like the shows. I like all of that shit, but I don't like things being crammed down my fucking throat. Well, you know, and to each their own, because some people are into that kind of kinky shit. <laughs> but again, they shouldn't be doing it out in public. That's just the way I look at it. But that's, you know, if they're if they're out there getting dressed in the parking lot, that's that's their their business. I don't know. It's it's a tough day and age. It's, it's tough to navigate. Alex, I want to ask you, who would you who would you like to like? Ideally, I guess, from being like doing stand up, you probably want to be do some like comedy acting or something like that. Who would you love to perform with that way? Like, are you thinking like in like comedy acting, like share, a, like do a stand up show with, like open for? Or are you asking uh, someone do it if I did like a movie? I'm thinking more like SNL or, you know, something oh, like, like that. You work way up to that or something even yeah. that's scripted, right? Like, um, I love that show, Shit's Creek. I, I have oh, yeah. a lot of the latest episodes, but I do love the uh, the original yeah. season was great. I think if I could hang out with anyone right now, it would be Nate, like Nate Bergazzi. He's okay. just so good, dude. Like, he's so funny and he's so clean. He just plays, like, he plays the confident idiot so well. Like, it's so good. It's like, that's probably my favorite character is, like, the confident idiot. You know, that's like, like, that's basically what every adult cartoon father is like the homer simpson or you know american dad or uh uh family guy there peter griffin like they're all it's that they're overly confident but and they're stupid but it uh but it doesn't seem to bug them so like nate has a really good joke one of my favorite jokes about how uh he's like he's like i could go back in time and uh i don't think it would benefit me at all he's like you know like if i went back to the 1920s He's like, I don't think I'd be doing any better than I am now. He's like, you know, because they would, uh, he's like, like I would go back and I would see someone. And they'd be on like an old phone. And I'd be like, hey, uh, you know, they have those like where you can carry them around in your And then, oh, we froze up on the Starlink there. We're waiting for a fresh satellite to reach Alex. Pardon? Yeah. Oh, oh no. Okay, so you're, you're carrying the phone. Oh no, my internet connection is unstable. That's oh. okay. So am I. You seem yeah, you seem more stable now. You so you were carrying the phone? Yeah. No, no, yeah. So Nate Bergazzi says he'd like see a guy on an old phone and he'd be like, uh, you know, in the future they have those that they just go in your pocket. And they'd be like, Really? How how he's like how they do it. Like I, I think Bill C twenty one is coming into effect. <laughs> you froze really up again there, Alex. You just glitched out totally. Oh no! Well, I'm canceled now. They got rid nope. of me. Nope. Try again. Third time's the charm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we got we're good. I think we're good. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. So he tells jokes anyway. <laughs> he does a joke about how if he went back in time, people would ask him. Like, he couldn't even prove he was from the future, you know? So then he'd be like, uh, they the, the cell phone, so they're like, oh, I don't know how they do it. And then he's like, I think it's a satellite. And then they're like, what's a satellite? And he's like, oh, I shouldn't even said that. Shouldn't even, shouldn't even said that. Uh, I think metal. 
metal's got to go up pretty high, I think. Uh, and then he's like, I don't think I could even prove I'm from the future because they, they'd want something. They would be like, who's the next president? He'd be like, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, I would go back in time. I'd be waiting tables. I would be doing worse than I am now. But he's just got so many good bits about like just being like a dumb idiot that, but like confident. And it's just, he's just fun. Uh, do you ever check out uh, Kill Tony at all? Yeah, yeah, I've seen some of their stuff, yeah. Yeah, I've had some friends do Kill Tony. I've had a couple of guys get through. So my buddy Danny Martinello and uh, who else was it? Sam Walker, I think, got a pass as well out of Calgary. Do you ever, uh, do you ever feel any drive to go and tour the States at all or go and do a show like that? Yeah, I'm not too worried about doing to Kill Tony. Uh, I mean, I would like I would do, of course, any anything like that would be super fun. Uh, but I, I think I've got my like I've got a good system here with the self producing, and I really, I really like being independent. And I think, like, I, I think it's um, well on my way, man. It, uh, it's doing very well. I'm very happy. Um, the states, I do want to do America. Like, obviously, you're gonna do it at some point. I'm not sure when, uh, I'm not in that big of a rush. Like so many Canadian comics, like that's the, the end goal. They're in such a rush to get there. And originally I was too. Um, but then it kind of just changed where I, until you're like tapped out in Canada, like, I don't see why the, the rush to get there, like maybe, I don't know, people seem to think it's easier. Like you're just gonna get picked up by some network and made into a star and like, I don't mind hustling and grinding, like, you know, doing the social media, posting every day, growing organically, and then just touring cities and trying to sell tickets. And, you know, and then just every time, you know, you just move on to bigger venues, right? Like just- Are you coming to uh, Ontario at all? I have no, I've never done a show in Ontario and I don't have anything booked right now. Well, but I would love to. Ontario, like a ton of my friends actually moved out of Vancouver to Toronto. And there's a ton of shows out there. Um, yeah, I would like to. I would uh, like to try and come and come check it out. Well, I will keep an eye out and I will come and watch you. Yeah, where in Ontario are you? So I'm in the Kawartha. So I'm about an hour and 10 out from Toronto. Okay, which direction? Uh, east. So more like in between Toronto and uh, Ottawa. Okay, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it'd be good to uh good to come out there and try it. Um, the thing, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there. I'll get there eventually. That's the thing. Like, it's already so big, dude. Like, there's only 52 weekends in a year, so that means like even if you're doing shows every weekend, you can only do 104 shows. Yep, no worries. Um, so you can only do 104 shows. So it's like, you know, if you're doing, like, you, it's hard to get through all the towns, like. If mm -hmm. you look at my schedule right now, you're following the uh, the uh, fan there. Don't look at the fan. Whatever you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you're just like, you know, by the time I get usually to like Saskatoon, it's usually like mid to the end of July. And I'm like, oh, I got to start working my way back because I, I put the RV in storage in October, like in, on Thanksgiving. So I put it in storage and then I go about down to Vancouver and then I'm in Vancouver, October until like Christmas time, pretty much. 
And then I spend Christmas and New Year's uh, in Prince George with my family. And then after that, I fly uh, fly to Australia. So then you only get so many weekends that you're working uh, out of the RV. And then so it, with the draw then in the States be just that there's like larger venues and uh, some like bigger cities that, that are closer together. Would that be like kind of the appeal to that? Yeah, there's way more people. So way less travel. Like the hardest part with Canada, same with Australia is there's the amount, there's a small amount of like not dense, right? Like we're very spread out. Like mm -hmm. generally I'm driving three to five hours in between gigs, sometimes more. Um, and so there's that and then the bigger cities. So, but big cities are a hard market, like because big cities get so much entertainment. It's way easier to sell. Like if you go to Cornell or you like, like a guy go to hundred mile, like go to smaller towns that don't get it as much entertainment. That's where you have to start. And that's where you start building your name and people actually come out. Like when I go to Vancouver, even like, dude, I, it is hard to get 50 people out to Vancouver. Like just, even though there's a million, but it's like when you're there, like Elton John could be there, you know, like. Oh, froze again. Eh? No. No, Elton no, John? Yeah. You yeah, would have so, to compete with him? Yeah, you're just competing with uh, the biggest name ever, dude. Like anyone. So it's uh it's kind of kind of tricky. But and the other thing about the states is they have a they have um an actual entertainment industry, which I think is the bigger appeal to people, um, and comedy clubs. So like there's enough comedy clubs in the states that like if you get signed to like United Talent or something like a talent agency out of America, and then they can just book you at comedy clubs every weekend. And then you're just out there doing shows and that's it. You don't have to do anything else. You're just, you know, they set it all up. They do your flights, your hotels, your travel, all your, all your marketing, everything. And so you're just there and you're just telling jokes and doing the craft. Um, is where here, uh, the biggest thing is I think people are, artists get pissed off that there's no one, to produce them you know they want they want uh yeah people to produce them but i found like i i tried to do the production thing for other people and it just it burned me out and it was too hard like it you know i was like when i first started my company i was like oh well what i'll do is i'll start producing monthly shows and i used to so i used to produce monthly shows all across canada like i would phone pubs and bars and then set up like a monthly comedy show and then hire my friends and send them there, there. But it's like, you can see why the, the margins are just too small. Like there's just not enough money to pay the acts what they want. Like, you know, artists, a lot of them, they want like, you know, they want 500 to $1,200 a show. And you're like, how do you think you're going to get a thousand dollars out of 50 people? You know, and then you also got to pay the travel and the hotels and you got to pay the the marketing and the graphics. So then the only thing that was feasible was to just do all of it myself. And then I just take whatever's left over. And so then I kind of kind of quit doing it. But I don't know, man, like um, I'm a comedian, but at the same like I'm a, also a producer. So I see both sides of it and I can see like I I feel like a lot of uh yeah, a lot of the comics that kind of kind of screw themselves by charging too much money for a thing. And the thing that like I always saw right from the beginning that was very simple is like to me, my goal was always like I don't need anyone 
I need an audience. Like if I can say I'm coming there and people will buy tickets, like that's what I need. So I'm like, I don't care if there's a producer looking at me or a comedy club or anyone of that sort. It was how do I build an online presence and a following so that people want to come to my show when I'm in their city. And that was always like my goal from day one. And, uh, but I think, I don't know, it's just a lot more work. And I just met too many good comics that were too funny. Like they were so funny and they were so good. And they just were still doing pubs and bars after 20 years, you know? And it's like, so it obviously you need to be more than just funny. Like you need to be able to do the marketing side. You need to be able to go after an audience. And then like, if you think of it from a business perspective, like, why is someone going to pay you a bunch of money to come do a show when you're not like if simple business is like, if I'm giving you a thousand dollars, I better be making $1,200 off you. Like if I'm not, then I'm losing money. And then my business is going to go bankrupt. So it's like, if I tell people you're coming to town and no one's buying a ticket because no one knows who you are, you're like, it makes sense. Why would someone book you? Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't see why people more people don't see that side of it but i get like what they say is they go no i do the job so i have the skill to do it it's your it's the promoter's job to fill the room up and then it's my job to knock them down it's kind of how they look at it mm -hmm. yeah oh now you know comedy club structure was with the, oh froze up again no oh, it's all good now okay um, so yeah, that was the old comedy club structure was like the people would come to the comedy club and they were doing all the work at filling the room. And then your job was to knock it out of the park. But then people got mad at it. People hated yuck yucks, all the artists, because they felt they weren't getting paid enough because they would go, there's 200 people in here. I know they're all paying $20, you know, there's, you know, four grand or whatever in this room and I'm getting 400 bucks. And it's like, yeah, but that's because those guys spent all that time and money and marketing, building that business and building that brand. And that's, and they're running a whole business, you know? So then they want to break off and do it themselves. But then when they do it themselves, no one comes to their show and then they're pissed off that no one's at their show. And you're like, I don't know what you want, man. Like, you know? Well, and then we, we come to the day and age too, where people don't pay to play music in a jukebox in a bar either. You know, the yeah. same people can go online and download free audio clips and and probably you know of course cds from the 90s and, and 2000s yeah well it is hard like i think it's hard just getting people out of the house in general dude there's so much entertainment now like you know like you have netflix you have amazon probably like you've got so many things you got online video games you got your phone you got reels like before you used to have to leave your house to be entertained and now it's like you do like you don't have to at all and then also like you know for the most part, a lot of people are struggling right now, like financially, you know, with the just inflation. And the first thing to go is entertainment. So unfortunately, like, you know, comedy tickets are pretty low on the list when, you know, you're just trying to figure out how you're going to pay your rent and eat food. Well, I, I canceled my Disney Plus and uh, the $13 that I saved helped me uh, pay my rent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, great. you know, in when they're in Parliament and they're talking about the second carbon tax that they're bringing in, not once did they mention the impact on uh, on comedians. So do you feel like you're not being fully represented in the House of Commons? 
Oh, I don't even know what the House of Commons is. So, uh, you know, I'm probably not getting represented there. I do, <laughs> I do everything in my power to stay out of uh, politics and anything of the sort. And what it was is, honestly, I told you guys about that podcast we had before. So it was called Address This Mess. And that's all we did. We did was mostly political stuff. It was news stories, CNN, and, you know, just reading a news story and then going off about it. And there was never a time in my life I was more miserable. I was just, <laughs> I hated the world. Everything was wrong. I'm like, we need government reform. We needed to burn it to the ground. I needed everything to restart. This was before I started comedy. So I was just like, I hated everything. I was working at the mill and I just thought that the world needed to change in order for me to be happy. And then after complaining like that for about three years, I realized that I could do this the rest of my life. Nothing's going to change. And then I said, I'm sick of this dumb little game. So then I quit my job. I sold my house and everything. And I bought this RV. And then I just started touring, doing comedy. And I am living the best life I could ever imagine right now. And nothing's changed. You know, like it was, there was no, no, the government, nothing in the government changed. No things change. If anything, things look like they've gotten worse out there. And my life has just gotten exponentially better. And I think, I think that's like an antidote to chaos is really just like, I try not to worry about too much about what anyone else is doing. And that's where, uh, if I just focus on me, it really, really really benefits me man and i honestly think that's led to a lot of my success is that i'm alone in this rv all the time like i don't have anyone checking me i don't have anyone like telling me my ideas are crazy like you know like this year like we're doing an arena like a three thousand seat arena there's no other comedian there's no one in canadian comedy doing arenas right now no one at all and i'm doing an arena and it is like you know, anyone I tell about it, they're like, you're an idiot. Like, why are you, that is way too big of a venue. You're not a 3000 seat arena. And no one even knows who you are. And you're like, that's going to work. Don't even worry about it. You know? And it's just like, just do it and you fail and you do it and you fail. And then you just figure out what went wrong and you come back and try again. And it's like, just be resourceful, figure it out. Um, You know, I've ran out of money lots. I've, gone and then had to write business plans and incorporate and get business loans. And then I've lost all the money on the business loan. And then I've had to sell RSPs and then I've had to reinvest those. And, you know, I had to sell my jet skis, which is such a white privilege problem. <laughs> like, I had to sell the jet skis. Come on. You know how hard it is out here. Um, but yeah, just like producing shows, losing money, and then you just keep going and figuring it out. And uh, you know, now things are starting to work and it's, uh, it's very, very exciting, man. And it, I don't know if, uh, if I worried about any other, anything else, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Well, and you wouldn't appreciate it as much. That's one thing with the, with hardworking blue collar people is we tend to appreciate what we've worked hard for. And we also appreciate the, the purge and the necessary need at times to just get rid of shit you know and let it go it's not worth you know that's that's good for you man like um so your podcast so previously is it still available for people that want to well i think it is and i am like i think i gotta take that thing down (laughs) 
I'm just, I'm just picturing that in 10 years when I'm famous, that's going to get pulled up and it's going to be me saying some crazy shit on there when I was like 21. And they'll be like, you see what this guy did? Oh yeah, they've already got it now. Trust me. They've you got Starlink where you're at. They've got it where they're at. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. So I I think I think you can still find it on YouTube or something, or it's probably still archived in iTunes and that type of stuff. But it, uh, yeah, it, it it was a good one. It was uh it was it was all right. But yeah, I don't know, man. It I do think it's important like you know i i really believe in that balance of like the left and the right and i i like that there's people pulling the rope both ways you know i don't think because if one side isn't checking the other side the other side is just going to run away with it so i do i do uh appreciate the people out there that are fighting the fights that they are um and i'm glad that i don't have to you know and then some people say that maybe i'm part of the problem because i'm not getting involved but i don't know dude i just I think it's it's better. If you're aware of what's going on, you're not part of the problem. It's the ones that are ignorant to, I think, everything. Like at least you're you're aware that you're just going to live your life and you're going to do you and you're going to enjoy every moment of it. And I think a lot of people need to start remembering to do that and and stop allowing the the world to consume them. Yeah. Well, I know. Um, just. In, in my perspective, the fact that comedians had to resort to selling cookies was, <laughs> was scary enough there during the pandemic. So I'm sure that most are, are aware and awake, I would hope. Um, I just can't. I want to ask you, though, Alex, I'm a huge fan of this uh, film slash documentary, Idiocracy. Are right. you familiar with? I am. Uh, and do, do you by any chance see any parallels between the film and where we're at now right now or? It, it does i i do see it mostly just in like uh like big corporations you know like i think we're really heading that direction where you can see like late stage democracy or whatever late stage capitalism they call it i guess um where it is like everything is owned by one person at the top and they're just funneling all the money from the bottom to the top so you can see that happening and that there's uh that kind Your of children will be placed in the custody of Carl's Jr. Carl's <laughs> yeah, Jr., yeah. fuck you, I'm eating. Yes, that yeah. was my favorite part of that whole movie. Yeah, I really liked Idiocracy, man. I think it was I think it was really well done. Uh, it does seem to be kind of the case. I don't know, like, my whole thing that I always say is that I do think that the world is in its best time it's ever been in. Like, I think I'm like the guy pulling the rope the other way that's saying, like, I think there's never been a better time to be alive. I think this is the best the planet we've ever had. You know, like it's it's easier to stay in touch with everyone. Like you can contact your loved one, even doing this like you couldn't do this before. I'm like, I can throw on my headset right now, play video games with all my friends. Like I get to travel around and do stand up comedy uh, all on my own merit. Like, do you know how hard it would be to be doing what I'm doing now back then? You couldn't like I'm I'm my graphic designer. Well, not really anymore. I actually have a graphic designer now, but I can do like you can do your own graphic design. You can do your own marketing, your own box office, you know, your own contract. Like you can do everything all on your own now and completely produce your own shows as where back then 
like what would you do you'd have to like phone the local newspaper and try and ask them to write a story that you're coming to town and then you'd have to find a venue that would put you up in the venue and then sell your tickets and like it just would have been chaos trying to do all of this and then trying to get your name out there would have been super hard but maybe not maybe it would have been easy maybe you would have just phoned the radio bought a radio ad and no one else is doing it so they're like this one comedian is the only comedian we got you know how many how many yellow page books would you have to carry around because if you were planning like a tour there was no internet to google what establishments were where what news stations were where like you didn't have any of that information on hand i couldn't imagine like the like you have to phone like InfoTel or whatever and get them to send you like a yellow pages for every jurisdiction that you hope to like work on in the future. It's just yeah. so you have the information to find all those people. Yeah, that's what I mean, man. Like it's crazy. And like our access to food now is just so easy. Like, you know, like you go to the grocery store, people complain about waiting in line. You're like, you know what the other option was? Like you had to grow your own food. You know how long that takes? Like a little different. And it like, I don't know. So I really, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're doing great. You know, I think we're going to be fine. I think that the internet is something new that we need to learn how to use. I think that's a big thing just because you're hearing everyone's opinions about everything all the time. And I think that's something new that we didn't have before. Um, you know, like when I open this, like when I, if I read through my comments, man, like people hate me, like people tell me that they were going to murder me every day online. <laughs> They're like, you're a piece of shit. You should quit comedy. I hope you die. Like they just, it's the meanest stuff you could ever read. It's the bad golfing joke. It has to be. The bad <laughs> golfing joke? No, the golf joke's a great joke. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, I wonder I wonder how many were, were triggered by that one. Yeah. Uh, the one that the got first time I heard that one. The one that got people the maddest was my joke about guns. Which obviously, if you're talking about guns, it's always going to be a heated one. So that one got people pretty mad. Um, then I did actually, I did one about the Freedom Convoy that got people really mad. And then I'm trying to think. I did one other one that got people going was like about sobriety, I think. But then people get, uh, yeah. But I don't know. You're just like whatever try not to and the first few times you see it is like very upsetting and hurtful and then after a while you just learn to not read them and like kind of move on you know and yeah so did your like uh, i said you got to watch the crowd too because the the biggest joke i ever failed on was asking for a moment of silence for the hearing impaired <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that's a no, great I, seriously there was hecklers there was there was a Karen and this is pre-Karen, man. Yeah. And where where did you do comedy? Oh, this was at a demolition derby during intermission. <laughs> uh, where did you do it? Just in the stands? Yeah. Well, I used to tour with this. We used to have a band. We didn't really have a name. And uh so we let the audience name us. So we were, you suck, get off the stage. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we played for two, three months. Yeah. Good. Nice. That's pretty fun. No, no I, I took my turns emceeing when I was younger. And uh, yeah, I did some some turns on stage and public speaking and stuff. So, yeah. Now I just talk to public. It's so much easier. You know, you read yeah. the Google reviews and just laugh. Oh, I remember that person. Yeah. 
Yeah. He called me a fraggle. I don't know what that is, but it's offensive. I'm offended. <laughs> what do you do for work, Nate? Are you drive? You said you drive. Yeah, I do public transportation right now. Right. Yeah, I'm hoping to play with dead trees though soon. I think it'd be funner. Yeah. Lane, you were gonna ask a question. Oh, oh yeah, I was gonna ask. Um, like, uh, you know, with this optimism that you have for like the best time we're ever in, and like things are going pretty well all in all. And like, you know, you also intone that things are kind of getting a bit worse. Like, was your optimism shaken at all during the pandemic? I know you mentioned that you kind of found a, you used the time to find a productive way to still, you know, engage with your audience and get things moving forward. But were you ever like, did the optimism kind of fade when you're looking at like the oppression of the COVID restrictions? Yeah. So COVID did get to me big time, man. Like it was, at the beginning was fine when we were doing the open up shut down open up shut down that's when it got very stressful for me because uh so at the beginning like i qualified for that serb so i had because i started a sole proprietor right away with my with my business doing comedy so then when we uh when they locked us out i qualified for serb so that i was fine i was like whatever i'm getting two thousand dollars a month uh, you know, I have no bills, basically. I'm living in this RV in my parents' driveway. So then I just uh, wrote jokes and I was like, I'm going to work on this, work on my TikTok, use use this where I can. Um, and then what happened, though, is then they opened up. So then Serb went away and then you didn't have any money anymore. And then now I had to start booking shows. And I was like, OK, that's fine. But the problem is, like, you need minimum one month to book out. Right. So like. I need a month. I need to book a show one month in advance to get the marketing, the graph, get everything going and start selling tickets to get to it. Now I generally book three to six months in advance, uh, if not longer. Um, and then what would happen is I would get a bunch of shows booked. I would start spending my money on the marketing, get everything going. And then, uh, then they would, the new restriction would come in and they'd cancel everything. And then I had to cancel. So I wasn't getting served. And then I would have to cancel all of my shows. I'd have to refund everyone their tickets. And then I would have lose my money on my marketing. Like no one's giving you that back. And then it was just uh, that happened like three times in a row. And I remember snapping and I made it was I was embarrassing. I had to pull it off of my story. I went on my story, just screaming, like lost it. Like I was like, what the hell? Like, I don't know what you want me to do. And it was like, it was at the point to, um, like I always said, I'm a vaccinated anti-vaxxer. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I agree with the anti-vaxxer people, but I'm like, I just, uh, I follow all the rules, but I think they're dumb, you know, type of thing. So I kind of just went off on that where like, that was frustrating. Like I didn't understand why I had to not do shows and we had to stay home when it was, well after the vaccine had been out and you're like how about the people who are afraid stay home and they can apply to get the serb and you let me go out and do my job and if you're too afraid of it you stay home you know what i mean like why not have it the other way where and then give them the money like people are like well you're getting because at the end it was like 300 bucks a week or something was the second one. And they're like, you get 300 bucks a week to stay home. What are you worried about? I'm like, well, then you stay home, take $300 and let me go do my shows, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was where my optimism did start to fade. It was like, I mean, I'm, 
I was just very frustrated. It was very hard because also at that point in my career too, like I'd only been doing stand up professionally for a year and then COVID happened. And so I was really, I didn't, I was struggling. Like it was hard, dude. It was very, very hard. Like this year, honestly, since I just got back from Australia, this tour has been the first time that like I'm blown away. Like shit's working, you know, mm -hmm. you're like, I've been on the road uh, for just over a month now. Um, you're selling out a bunch of shows. Like my show tomorrow night only has seven tickets left. You're making money. Like it's it. I I'm like pinching myself, dude. I can't believe how well it's working now. And you're like, it's only going to get better. Like if you just keep up this pace and this drive, it's just going to get better year over year. But yeah, the opt that was very, very difficult with the, with all of that. And then, yeah, I just, I didn't agree with a lot of the rules. I don't know. You know, it just seemed to me like, uh, I, I just don't think you ever should have been allowed to tell someone that they, if they didn't get a vaccine, they, they weren't allowed to go out. Like I got the vaccine and I still feel that way. I'm like, if you didn't want to get it, why do I care? Like, I don't give a shit what you do, you know? Like it did. So that I did get kind of frustrated over that stuff, but not really that part of it as much, but just with the, with the canceling shows and then opening up and then shutting down that started to wear on me. That's, well, that's I couldn't imagine being a entertainer having gigs booked for New Year's when the government decided that morning to just cancel New Year's for everybody. Like they couldn't give us two weeks. They gave us two weeks warnings of the mask removal. That's what we're, you know, and people were just, they, oh yeah, well, they were doing what they could. Like That's what blows my mind is how many stupid people there are. But uh, yeah, yeah well, it's just I, I still weird. see people with masks on, no helmet, you know? Yeah. Well, it's just a weird thing of like people when it's like, you know, they're right or whatever. They're like, I got the right way and my way is the good way and everyone else's way is the bad way. And that's why I like I just really try focus on like how about I just worry about what I'm doing and you worry about what you're doing. Thank and you, logic. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's not worry about like you know, I'm out here telling jokes and like even with comedy, like I don't do dark comedy, I don't do any of that crazy stuff. And I, but I agree with it. Like I think you should be allowed to do whatever you want up there. And if you don't like it, then don't go to the show. You know, like I just think that and I think let the market decide. Like if if they suck and it's a bunch of like crazy shit that they're saying up there that is wrong then people won't yeah so what i was just uh what i was kind of saying is like i think you should just let the market determine the value so like you know if like with cancel culture there people are outraged and they're, they're literally protesting to try and get artists taken down um I think just let like let the market decide, man. Like if if it's that bad, whatever they're doing, people aren't going to want to support it, and they'll naturally fall off. Like that, that's the way that it should work. Like to go out of your way to cancel somebody to me seems crazy, and like I just don't like. There's a lot of things people say that I don't agree with, or I don't. I just couldn't imagine thinking that. I needed uh, like a cult to come and form and take these people down. You would just be like, well, if, like if people are listening to it and they're marketing, maybe that guy's right. You know, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. If that many people like it, like that's kind of always been my, my thought on it is like, you know, if maybe I'm, maybe I'm the idiot and I'm not seeing it the right way is usually 
how I kind of go with it. Well, that's but, a really interesting point because like the market is kind of a sense making organism on its own. And so you could apply that to so many different aspects of life. Like we're talking about the, um, the kind of closures and lockdowns and businesses that had, uh, be, had to be shut down when you said, you know, you do you like once the vaccines were rolled out and everything, if you wanted to take it, that's on you. Why would we ostracize these other people from society? It's like you could have very well had businesses that believe the kind of mainstream narrative and said, only masks, only vaccinated in my store. And then you would have that market correction for people like either people would think that's an abhorrent policy and they wouldn't support them, or they would get some support from people who are vaccinated that are really ideologically like into isolation. But then you'd have other businesses like comedy clubs that, that would be like, listen, we don't wanna disparage against anybody. We're open doors to, to everyone during this time. And then you could have the market see if like that's valuable. Nobody would show up if they thought it was a horrendous idea. And so, yeah. yeah. That, that's kind of what I think. The thing that seems to be a weird thing that's like kind of catching, catching momentum is like uh, everything seems to be coming from like a moral high ground and attacking you down that way where they're like, you know, because it's, it's easy to spot certain things. Like generally they say with like, like the far right, it's easy to spot what's wrong with that. Because the far right is usually coming at you from like a, a race standpoint where they're going, we're better because of the color of our skin. And it's very easy to point out what's wrong with that. Um, however, with the far left, they do it from like a moral and ethical standpoint, which is also wrong, but it's harder to really like get a hold of why, you know, but they'll be like, if you don't do this, then you must be uh, you must be a racist. And they're like, that, no, that doesn't make me that if I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, then do it. Otherwise you are. And you're like, why do I have to put my thing on a black square? Why do I got to do that? You know, like it doesn't, that doesn't mean, but it's like, and it just seemed weird that they're able to through, um, through your like morals, they're able to force people to do things like they're, they're forcing, you know, like big industries to be like Tide Pods. What do you think about racism? Or what do you think about, about, uh, you know, lockdowns? And then they have to go and make a public statement. And you're like, why do they, they make goddamn laundry detergent. Who gives a shit what they think? You know, <laughs> like what the, like what's going on? I, I just don't, it seemed wild to be like. Well, and they've been bragging about white or whites for years. Yeah, exactly. They've been trying to get me to separate my colors forever. Those fuckers. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, bad example. Maybe we should try Pepsi. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, go with a different one, eh? Um, but yeah, so it just like yeah, I don't know. The cancel culture thing just seemed seems odd, but that's also me coming from like an artist standpoint, so it probably hits a little home a little harder for me. Um, but having said that, like I don't do anything, like I don't say anything, like none of my material really is even that way. But I still think that there should be you should be allowed to do whatever you want up there. Like when you're on that stage, if you want to say some crazy shit, go ahead. But it's probably not going to go well. And I think that's a punishment enough. You know, mm. the room's going to not laugh and it's going to be awkward and they're going to think you suck and a bunch of people are going to think you're a jerk. And like, well, do I you get that... mistaken? Have you had hecklers at your show? I get hecklers, but I don't get like never, never really for what I'm saying, just people yelling shit out randomly. But it's never really like, I'm trying to think of like 
the last time I really upset someone. Um, I know I did when I first started, when I first started comedy, I used to, one of my first jokes ever was like making fun of cancer researchers. So it was like, cause people would always make fun of the weatherman and they'd be like, I wish I could get my job wrong seven days a week and keep my job. So I'd be like, well, what about the people working on cancer? You know, like it's been what, 60 years and there's still nothing like you had to have tried everything, you know? And I'm like, what do you do at work? You just show up. You're like, spray it with WD-40. Like, just did a bunch <laughs> of silly shit, you know? And uh, Has anyone and tried I, vinegar yet? Exactly. You're like, did we share a million likes on Facebook? Or you're like, maybe give the cancer cancer. Let it kill itself. Um, <laughs> but then it was like, I just did kind of a silly thing like that. And I had a lady one time stand up and storm out and ask for her money back. And she started crying, saying that her mother just passed away from cancer. And uh, it was, I still don't think she was right, but it did make me feel bad. Like as much as I didn't want to feel bad, cause I'm like, oh, I'm a comic, whatever, screw it. I did feel bad. And it's cause like, here's the thing, man. Like I never want to make someone feel bad. Like I don't like when I, in my life is like, especially when I'm doing comedy, like my whole goal as a comedian is to make you feel good. Like, that's what I say. Like, when you come to my show, you're going to leave my show feeling better than when you got here. And that means I did my job. So I always say, like, you know, like, it's very simple. Like, you give me money, I make you feel good. Like, kind of like a prostitute, you know? Except my job's harder because I'm not allowed to touch you. So it's uh, a little trickier. But that's kind of like my whole shtick with it is that, like, uh, yeah, when, when I upset that lady it really made me think like is it worth is doing this joke worth that possibility of upsetting that person and uh for me and my style it's not like i was like well i can find other jokes that'll be better and i've never told that joke again to that day and that was within probably my first six or seven months of doing comedy um now having said that when i go online there's a lot of stuff like i've had people get really mad at me about a few things like um even at a lady recently, I have a joke about uh, picking up chicks in the RV because my buddies are always like, oh, man, you must pick up so many chicks, you know, and you're like, do you know how hard it is to get a girl into a white van? And uh, so I do that. And then this lady was like so upset that she's like, with all the women abductions going on, this isn't funny, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, this is a silly joke. Like, it's not even I never thought that was a, I thought that was a pretty tame thing, you know, like. And she was upset about it. And I, whatever, I don't agree with her. I was like, I, I think that's fine. Um, one that did go really, I've got in big trouble um, for saying it. So that's another one that's kind of tricky. Is like a very common funny filter for writing jokes is you do an analogy. So you compare two dissimilar ideas. And then when you compare them and find similarities between two things that normally wouldn't have similarities, it's very funny. But a lot of the time you're comparing an inanimate object to a person. So it's like, I'll say like in bed, I'm like a dirt bike. So it's a loud, powerful, and I come in two or four strokes. So I'll do like a silly joke like that. But then I did one where I said like, hooking up with a chick is like wearing a COVID mask. I'm like, as soon as they're on my face, I can't wait to get it off. And people didn't like that i said it when if you talk they're now like oh you're calling women it and you're like well i'm saying it because the mask like it you know and so then i that was upsetting and then also people thought i was gay because they're saying you wanted to get them off of you 
when you're like, no, I want them to get off on me. It was the thing, you know? So it, uh, some of those like little things like that, but that's mostly just internet stuff. And like, I think you're going to get that everywhere. And, uh, at my shows, I've never had a problem, you know? Did you see what happened with, uh, Howie Mandel? No. Um, somebody posted a picture of this weightlifter who suffered a prolapsed anus. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys know what that is, but yeah. and he didn't know what it was. And he typed in, was this COVID related and sent it out on Twitter and it went freaking viral because he had no idea what it was or, or what. And his, his son actually got a hold of him and said, dad, you gotta take that. Like that is so disgusting and disturbing. And you know, like you gotta take that off the internet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he had no idea even what it was, so it's funny as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I think with all these problems, like, you know, you're an example of like, like you changed a little bit of uh, the content based on obviously not wanting to make other people feel bad. And so, like, you could look at that like a market effect in terms of like you seeking your audience and seeing what what's right and what's wrong. But then you also get these people that are like, you know, you're talking about like the people that um, are on the internet or whatever that are not fully understanding your jokes or taking them in a bad way. And you're like, well, that's foolish. Like, I'm not going to censor myself based on some foolish notion. So it's like you find that middle ground. And you realize, OK, well, as long as I don't offend the majority of people, like some people are always going to be offended. And, right. uh, you know, and then you kind of carve out your niche and maybe you're not for everyone especially maybe the, the lower iq folk that that have trouble you know with like the kind of linguistic path of uh of your jokes but it's just like this is the kind of like nuanced uh, middle ground that even when you take it back to like the kind of the political like the left and the right that in the cancel culture doesn't really seem to exist that you have to be on one polar extreme or the other polar extreme of things and so it's kind of a shame because i think that like most of us can find a, I would say, like the average person would agree with you when you look at like the whole you do you as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Like the really kind of basic statement of just like, I I want you to do whatever you want, even if I don't agree with it, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And what's cool yeah. about that is that like, I mean, obviously it seems quite basic, but it's so basic that like they figured it out hundreds of years ago and they like right. they encapsulated it in the English common law, which was that there's no crime committed unless there's a victim or a victim's family that comes forward. Right. And so it's like, right. you're free to make mistakes because like there's a, the social cost of things. You, you know, you say something stupid, especially in this world, it's like, that's uh, that's with you for your entire life. So it's like, there's implicit risks that you don't need a governing body to come in because like society will govern itself in these right. ways and be like, Oh, Alex, I can't believe you said that thing about cancer, uh, you know, research, like forever and always, that's going to be like a, a black smear on your, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. On your character, if people aren't willing to see the, the, the comedy in it. Right. And so it's like, it, I think we really like had a really beautiful thing in that, like the common law was part of the zeitgeist and like modern laws, it kind of expanded its way out into the modern era. And then we've just hit this point where we've kind of reverted to say that, no, we shouldn't do that. We should have kind of authoritarian control or, you know, the, the, this kind of cancel culture. Like if a few people are offended and they make enough noise, 
we just get rid of this person's employment. We do all these things. And like from a governance standpoint, you're not really letting the social um, uh, right. force have its work. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Uh, I totally agree with you there. And it does like, it is funny that they, these things are not new problems. Like they're things that people figured out a long time ago. Like I read a book called uh, the courage to be disliked. And it was by, it's on like Ed Leary in theory. So I don't know if you're familiar with Alfred Adler. So he's like, uh, he's like one of the three Viennese of psychoanalysis. So there's Freud that everyone knows. And then there's Adler and then there's Frankel. And Ed Leary in theory is basically, his is based on like inferiority complex. And so he talks about what people will do. And you can see it's funny because this was written in the 1800s. And it's like, it holds up today, dude. He's talking about that people who are inferior, what they will do is they will use their weakness to claim a position of power over others. So in the book, the book is written very neat where there's a philosopher and then a student and the student is asking the philosopher questions and then the philosopher is answering them. So it's uh, it's just a fun read. It's interesting. And the student is asking about it and the philosopher says, okay, well, take for example, he goes, I'm very short. Say that you or someone, some of my peers were trying to comfort me, telling me like your height doesn't matter. Like it's not an important uh, feature of who you are. You know, there's so many things that are more important of what you're actually like as a person to make up who you are. And it, it doesn't matter about your height. He goes, now, suppose that I reacted by saying, you don't know what it's like. Like, you think you know what it's like to be a short person like me? He's like, how do you think people are going to treat me after I say that? He's like, people are going to treat me like I'm a boil that's about to burst. They're going to be very cautious around me. They're going to watch what they say around me. And they're going to like censor themselves with when they're in my presence. And what you're doing is I am now creating a position of power over them from my weakness. And then it's the same, like he talks about, like, if you look at the human society, he goes, who's the most powerful person in society? He goes, it's a human baby. The human baby is our weakest member and we bend over backwards for them. We do everything for them because of their weakness. So we're there for them. And he talks about like, you know, that uh, same, yeah, that it's, you kind of like claim, yeah, claim power over others through your own inferiority by making from like a moral standpoint or, you know. So, and you can see a lot of that does seem to be a thing that people tend to do. Right. You're like, yeah, you know, I, you don't want to put in the genuine effort. So you just say, yeah, you don't know what it's like to be me. You know how hard it is. And then you're like, well, I guess I don't. <laughs> and then you just got to kind of, kind of take them at their word. But. Yeah. So it's like, it's like the whole kind of victimhood uh, mm -hmm. mentality. And when you see that there's a, you know, an objective benefit into being a victim, especially when there's some incentive to be a victim like you're uh, prized or you're celebrated in some way that it, like we've talked about this before, just kind of like the, um, the movement of some of these ideologies into like the schooling system where there's like a, you know, like if you remember being a kid, like there was like some goth kids in school or like, you know, some, some emo kids or whatever. And it was like a, it was an expression for them or a phase or whatever, but they do it. And like a lot oftentimes it was to like, to get attention or to signal that you were different and then you could kind of get some attention out of it. And so 
if you like, if you look at like what society's prizing right now, especially through the education system, it's like, oh, we're really celebrating people that are struggling with their personal identity or their gender or things like this. And so if you know, you're a kid and you don't have attention at home or you don't, you know, have a solid friend group, like all these other manifestations of, you know, inferiority, right? You say, well, I, if I attach myself to one of these other bandwagons, like I can get accolades, I can be treated differently. I can compete in the sport of the opposite sex and, uh, and get a trophy out of it and like, you know, satisfy some internal want for recognition. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that I think that is right. And it, uh, yeah, I don't know the whole victim thing. And the reason like I find it hard is like because I was that like I that's what I thought when I worked at the mill, man, like I hated life. I thought that everything was out screwing me. Everything was it was poor me. Like the thing that frustrated me is like I was living paycheck to paycheck and I was working at the mill making one hundred thousand dollars a year and I couldn't believe that i was in this position so i was just like people keep telling me what a good job i have i'm like well then why am i broke you know i'm like everything the mortgage system is crazy like i was 20 years old by the time i was 20 i had a mortgage i had a brand new truck i had jet skis dirt bike snowmobile i had like a thirty thousand dollar line of credit that they gave me maxed out like you don't know anything about money i'm like they just gave me everything i wanted and then i just i had like four thousand dollars in bills every month and they were just trying to pay bills and you were never getting ahead. You were just picking your bare minimum interest payments on everything. And you're like, I guess I just do this for 30 years now. And then it's paid off. But it was, uh, and so I was very frustrated and I just thought that everything was wrong with the world and everything needed to change. And I also like my view on business and corporations has changed quite a bit um, in the sense that like, I've studied a lot of businesses now and you look and generally dude, like most successful people I know, they started with like nothing and they just worked their ass off for like 20 years. You know, they started a business and then they just worked and worked and worked and that's how they got wealthy. And it is like, you know, people always, something that's weird I find is like our desire to tear down people doing better than us is like a, a weird one. Like people like Elon Musk. I think Elon Musk is the best thing that's happened to the humanity, man. Like the guy is just killing it. Like he's created electric cars. He's created this Starlink and gave the whole entire world uh, internet and satellite. Like, you know, like he's just added so much value to the world and is just a visionary and people hate. And you're like, dude, he could be like, it's not like he's making his money off of like, you know, like selling i don't know like running strip clubs or just you know, some random shit like he's like doing he's adding real value like electric cars were something that people thought was impossible and the guy figured it out and he gave the patents away to everyone and just said like when he gave the patent away people asked like why did you do that and he said he's like if you were on a sinking ship and you had the best design for a bucket to bail it out would you keep the bucket to yourself or the design to yourself? It's like, no, you would want everyone on that ship to be using the best bucket, you know? And like, True. so it just, it seems weird. I guess like anytime, anytime something gets too popular, there's like a counterculture that kind of attacks it. 
And I think most of it, like same with like Jordan Peterson. Like I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. Like I've read both of his books. I think he's very, uh, very wise. And he adds a ton of value. Like he helped me a lot, man. Like just with, you know, start taking accountability for your life and like pick something and put a genuine effort into it. Like really try, like, don't like, you know, don't lie to yourself and tell yourself, you're like, actually try and like pick one area of your life and try and prove it. And what about like, what are the things that you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing? And it's like, stop doing those and just watch. And it's like, your conscience gets clear, your mind gets clear, you start building self-esteem, like you start taking on challenges. And that's like, like what I'm doing, like with the arena this year, like you just take on challenges and take on bigger and bigger challenges. And you, you're scared, like it's hard. I remember when I booked my first theater, it was terrifying, dude. I was like, it was like, you know, $5,000 to do this show. And I was terrified. Uh, and now like $5,000 on a show seems like nothing. You're like, I don't care. Like, you know, spend like 50 grand on a show. We'll figure it out. Let's try it. And just like, you just get better and you're, you're get more, I don't know if you say brave, but like your confidence grows and then you take on a bigger challenge and get a little further and then eventually you look back at where you were and you're like, dude, I am so far from where I started. Like, and that to me seems to be the true measure of like happiness for myself is progress. Like when I can look back at myself and the end of a, at the end of the year or whatever, and be like, look how much further ahead I am today than I was, you know? And like, I'm still messing up all the time. I'm making mistakes, you know, like I got, I got super drunk all long weekend. And then I didn't do anything last week, man. Like it was, it was bad. I, I hated myself. I slept in this RV hungover for three days and now I decide I'm not drinking again. So I'm back on my sobriety train. I'm going to try not drink for, I don't know, maybe a year. We'll see if I can do a whole year. Um, but it just like, I suffered because I went against my own morals and values. And I think that that is where true suffering comes from it's like when you're doing things that are against what your beliefs are for who you want to be you know like i look at who i want to be and i want to be like you know someone who's kind someone who's hardworking, someone who's trustworthy and you know honest and it's like when i follow those fundamentals my life improves dramatically and it's like as soon as you start going against those things if you lie to someone or you know if you were mean to someone and you lash out of anger or something or anything like that, that then I suffer. And it's because that's not who I want to be. And, you know, it's not even about hurting other people. It's that I don't want to hurt myself anymore. And uh, I found a lot of that stuff through Jordan Peterson, but I found a lot of people don't like him. And I think something I found is anyone who tells you to maybe take accountability for your life, people don't like, like people don't like Joe Rogan. They don't like Jordan Peterson. They don't like if you're if it's someone Elon Musk, like most successful people, if they're saying, hey, maybe it's you, maybe you need to put in a little effort and work on yourself. They don't people don't like that. They want to go, no, you're wrong. I'm suffering because it's your fault. <laughs> and it's like it seems I saw a good quote today that said, like, we seem to be moving more and more towards a time where uh oh shit here i'll get it for you it was very good my buddy sent it to me but he's also like uh he should be on your podcast you would love him it says we seem to be getting closer and closer to a situation where nobody's responsible for what they did but we're all responsible for what somebody else did mm -hmm. right yeah it's like, which seems to be like uh 
a weird thing, but again, those are, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the description of, uh, collectivism, right. Versus like kind of the foundational principles that like the West was built on. So it's like, you know, the individual can pull themselves up and like work on themselves and like amazing things can happen. And like in a society that embraces that amazing things can happen and people can like actively improve themselves. But if you don't want to take on that individual responsibility, if you kind of want to live this life of envy and victimhood, then the best kind of theology for you is a collectivism, right? Whether it's communism or some other form of just being like, I want every, every, like other people to work so I don't have to work as hard because I'm oppressed in some way. Um, you know, that person that's succeeding, they shouldn't be succeeding because I'm not succeeding. And so it's just this whole comparison thing and, uh, and bringing everybody down to the same level. And so that kind of seems to be like a, like a, a root theology that like manifests itself on all these other levels of existence in the same way we're talking about like common law being of like a very basic struggle and like understanding that has been, you know, had for hundreds or thousands of, well, probably hundreds of years for common law. Um, but it's like something that we've witnessed in the same way we've witnessed the rise and fall of all these collectivist countries before and people who fell into these ideologies. And that's kind of like, I guess it's kind of the tragedy of humans writ large is that whole you know, failing history and just and repeating it over and over again in, in different ways. Like we don't have an anchor to it. Mm -hmm. You're blaming those yeah. of us that are large. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This us fat fucks. It's all us fat fucks' fault. I get yeah, it. Yeah, what the hell, man? Just quitting so many goddamn cheeseburgers and we'd all get along, you know? Yeah. So, Alex, I have to ask the famous question at this point in the podcast, which is where do we go from here? So where do you see us going in the next, you know, let's say uh, five years? Oh, like the society? Sure. Any, everything, anything. Oh, dude, we're going, we're on a major uphill trend. Like we're going, we're doing great. So in five years, we will have, uh, we'll have UBI. So uh, that the corporate taxes will be paying everyone to, uh, to get UBI. And the housing crisis will be solved because all the old people will die and no one will be able to afford to buy their houses so then the housing prices are going to have to drop and then the younger generation will come in and there's going to be some young inventor kid that comes in and figures out uh figures out any issues we're having with climate change someone is going to swing our power to solar i think that'll happen Someone will get on board with solar power and will swing everything over to solar and get more green energy. And, uh, and comedy is, is going to be huge. I'm, I'm going to be a rock star. Like in five years, dude, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in a, a, a two giant 40 foot tour buses and uh, one for the production crew, one for the, for the comedians and I'll, uh, be traveling the world with my family and loved ones selling out theaters and arenas i'll have my second comedy special done it, uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good five years man i'll probably get abs i'll probably have abs by then um yeah you know if you get a magician 
for like you were talking about for that you're doing at this uh uh you know tour or whatever the uh, uh charity event you could get him to cut you in half and then you could occupy both of those 40 foot uh tour buses that's a good call actually we could do that yeah i like it you might as well enjoy it right you know you want to enjoy both you don't want to have one and be like oh i really wish i was in the other one yeah especially when you get a fight with the people in yours you're like this one sucks pull over put me in the other one so we got to give you time here to give your uh your tiktok handle and your other uh your Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I'm Kevin Hart. Uh, no, <laughs> that's uh, that's Mark Norman's thing. I love it. Have you seen him do that? No. Mark Norman, <laughs> he end, he ends every one of his stand up sets by saying, "Thank you guys, I'm Kevin Hart," and then he walks off. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, so at Alex tells jokes, and that's across everything. So you can find that on uh, Instagram. Instagram, on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, if you go to alexpillsjokes.com, that's the best spot to find my tour dates. If you want to come and try find a show and check it out, all my shows are posted on there. Uh, I also have a podcast called An Experiment Called Life. We're all looking for is our happiness. Um, that started as a vlog. So if you watch, you can actually go back and watch from the moment I quit my job, sell my house, move into the RV and start touring back in 2019, all the way up until today. Um, there's like gaps in it. I didn't film much during COVID because I was just sitting in my parents' driveway and I was like, this doesn't make good footage. And then now I've kind of just turned it into a podcast. I wanted to start getting some more long form content out there um, just because I think long form content, uh, you kind of need it. Like when you're always doing, like what I do, those dumb little jokes online, I don't know if it gives you a great representation of my personality you know so i'm trying to get some more long form content out there and uh also i just think this is really exciting times man like i really think that i'm on like a rocket ship to success right now dude like i think that uh this is gonna be something you're gonna look back on in 10 years when you're selling out rogers arena and just being like dude remember when you were in that van like driving around like you're gonna want want to be able to look at that and just see the come up so been trying to work on doing those so i do those every monday yeah i keep them short they're 10 minutes they're a 10 minute podcast i just let you know where i was last weekend where i'm going to and then i talk about something that i learned like what uh, was the name of the podcast again uh an experiment called life okay yeah yeah i think the uh the audio did cut out a little bit there oh yeah also i'm pretty lispy dude we've been talking for a while so good experiment called life <laughs> we know you're not drinking because uh yeah well yeah. it's it's been a pleasure to have you on um any idea where chevy chase is these days you yeah, ever they, follow they him break his leg i thought they had to put him down no no blame no not I don't know chevy chase. what's days. seth rogan doing these days because i really what was that that movie about the food did they ever do a sequel to that I don't know. Sausage Party. You guys seen oh, it? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. I know the movie, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of wonder what he's up to. Well, with our last uh, couple minutes, Alex, I was hoping uh, to ask you what inspired your journaling process. You mentioned it earlier in the yeah. show. It just kind of seemed like a, a unique way to, like, 
look at yourself introspectively, but also kind of express gratitude for what you have. And I think that's kind of a cool thing. I'm just wondering what brought that about. Yeah. So a lot of self-help dude, like I just read a lot of self-help books and like kind of trying to figure out how to be happy. Cause I was very depressed in my old job and my old life. So uh, the journaling process was, it also started with comedy. Like when I read more and more books about comedy, they're like, you have to love writing. Like you should write every day, just learn to write every day. And that's how you get successful. And it's like doing that. So I started writing comedy, but then eventually it just turned more into a journal than comedy. And then the comedy came after. But what I found was like, uh, it was just very good for clarity. Like, if because my brain is so scattered like i do i have add but i don't really talk about it much because i don't think i think everyone's got it i think everyone's got that stupid thing you know like you're like you ever walk in a room forget what you did you're like yeah we all do like it's just a thing you get sidetracked um like i am right now so it was right uh no to clarity so i found if i was writing every day like i would wake up in the morning and it always felt like i had so much to do i don't know where to start and if I would just write about my day, it would help my brain compartmentalize what I needed to do. So it was like, you know, I needed to uh, do all that. The regret thing came from a guy, a book is Daniel Pink is his name. And he studied 16,000 people's regrets. And he said all every all the regrets fell into like one of four core categories. And so he talks about that. And then uh, and then also it was um, James Clear from Atomic Habits. That was the best book. That was the one that probably helped me write the most where he, he just has the most foolproof way on how to create a routine with habits. It's just like, make it simple, make it easy. So when I first started, it was five minutes. I said, I'm going to write for five minutes in the morning. That's it. And I would wake up and I would just go here. I am writing. I'm going to write now for five minutes. I don't really know what I'm going to write about, but I got to do this right now because that's what I'm supposed to do every single day. And this is what I'll do. And then later when I'm done writing, I'm going to do this and then this and this and this. And I just would do that every day. Uh, and then it grew and now it's 15. And then it was like, then it became, well, 15 minutes of that, 15 minutes of jokes. And then a lot of time I do 15 minutes of working on my actual stand-up routine rather than just a joke. So then you do like 45 minutes and then it just kind of compounded. But I, yeah, I think writing, writing the gym meditation. And then I also do fasting. Um, every year I do like a two week water fast where I only, I don't eat for two weeks. Um, and that started with like, I do intermittent, like right now, I just only eat between noon and eight, but um, yeah, I do. I, it's just uh, that routine, like get, get eight hours sleep, only eat healthy food, you know, uh, write every day, meditate, exercise. And I just found it starts stacking up and yeah, I don't know. Well, thanks for sharing all that, man. It's, uh, it's been insightful having you on. I admire your creative process and uh I think I learned a couple of things from it. So um, hopefully I'll see you when you're in town here in Kelowna. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, and just this episode is brought to you by Sun City Silver and Gold Exchange here in Kelowna on the corner of Bernard and Gordon. You can reach out to them at sovereigneyes at gmail.com. That's S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-I-Z-E at gmail.com to get the best prices on silver and gold to protect your assets. Boom. Nailed it. Good job, everybody. Okay. Well, yeah.